the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He's been praying a long time for his wife to be able to conceive. Because the angel goes on to say, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. In Hebrew it is Yohanan. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. It's probably pretty likely that meeting your favorite movie star or sports hero would leave you a little tongue-tied, a bit in awe. Well, as Pastor Gary continues in the book of Luke, you'll see that Zechariah is totally freaked out when he comes face-to-face with an angel of the Lord in the most sacred part of the temple, the Holy of Holies. The angel tells him that his prayers have been heard, that his wife Elizabeth will have a baby. This child, who will be named John, will pave the way for the Messiah to come. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're going to see here that on one occasion when Zechariah, being a descendant of Levi, as a Levite, is in the temple performing his priestly duties, he's going to get this visitation from an angel. I mean, he woke up that morning having toast and having, you know, his coffee, and he had no idea that on this day he was going to have a personal visitation from an angel. Can you imagine that? Well, here we go. So verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then, verse 11 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Okay, so pause for a moment. What it tells us is Zechariah's duty was to... Uh, uh, bring incense to the altar of incense. So just a little background here, because this is pretty significant. There were, in this particular day, about 20,000 male descendants of Levi who served in the temple area. 20,000. Now, if you were a Levite in this day, how was it determined that you would serve? They didn't need 20,000 people at once to serve in the temple area. So you were chosen in this day, the text tells us here, by lot. I mean, you know, they, you know, they had kind of cast a lot and figure out, 
you know, Vegas style, who was supposed to work how and when. And, and they'd make this whole chart of responsibility. Well, the Bible says here that the lot for the altar of incense fell on Zechariah. So in this day, 20,000 priests, here's what, here's what they would do. They would divide the duties such that you would serve for one week term twice a year. One week term twice a year. And that way they'd be able to get all 20,000 in through the various duties. Now when it comes to this one article of the temple, it was called the altar of incense. The altar of incense was a small standing golden altar, but it was almost like an, a, a rectangular box. It was 18 inches square and stood about 36 inches high. So about three feet high and only about a foot and a half square. And it took three priests in their duties to attend to the altar of incense. It was made out of gold. And here's how the responsibility went. There was one priest whose responsibility solely was to clean the ashes off of the altar. And you would do this morning and evening, so twice a day. So one priest would come in, remove the ashes from the previous day. Another priest would come in bringing coals, hot coals, from the burnt offering, from the altar of burnt offering, and bring the coals and place them on top of this little altar. And then the third priest would come along with incense made of certain spices that was outlined in the Old Testament Scriptures, and would then dump these incenses, pour the incense, these spices, on the hot coals, and the hot coals then would burn the incense, and it would, and it would rise up, the smoke would rise up. In, this is in the temple. And the altar of incense was placed right in front of the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Now, the most holy place was where the mercy seat was, the Ark of the Covenant, and only once a year the high priest could go around the curtain to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Next to the duty of the high priest who would do that once a year, that was the highest and most awesome responsibility. Next to that was the job that Zechariah got. The one, the third priest who would sprinkle the, the incense on this altar of incense, the curtain separates this altar from the Ark of the Covenant, and the priest who's sprinkling the incense would then pray and intercede on behalf of the people. The smoke as it would rise up, this sweet aroma would fill the whole temple area, and the, the smoke that would rise was figurative of the prayers of the people. How do we know this? You can just stay there if you, if you want to or turn to Revelation chapter 8. But in Revelation chapter 8, it speaks about how an angel is performing a similar duty in heaven. And it says in Revelation 8 verse 3 and 4, it says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Very interesting. Listen, because this ought to be encouraging to all of us. Your prayers do not go unnoticed in heaven. They are preserved and recorded and kept. And it tells us in Revelation 8 that this angel is presenting the prayers of God's people on the altar... They rise as a sweet aroma, and God then receives the sweet aroma of our prayers. They are heard by God. They are preserved in heaven. 
and God hears and God knows. So now this scene in Luke's gospel on earth, the incense burning and the smoke rising is a picture of the prayers of God's people as Zechariah is standing there interceding on behalf of the Israelites. And while he is doing this duty, and he's just there and he's sprinkling the incense and he's praying, all of a sudden, this angel appears on the right side of the altar, standing there, okay? No doubt very shocking. This had to be a moment, because, you know, inside the temple, the only light is the menorah. So other than that, it's, it's going to be kind of dark. And this I'm sure is, this angel is lighting up the interior of this temple and Zechariah is beside himself. And here's this angel standing there. And it says in verse 12, let's keep reading. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. I bet he was. <laughs> but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Oh, it's going to tell us here in a minute. He's been praying a long time for his wife to be able to conceive. Because the angel goes on to say, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. In Hebrew it is Yohanan. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Note this, because we studied the life of Samson just a few weeks ago on the weekend services, and this sounds very similar to a Nazarite vow, where, where John the Baptist was not to drink wine or any other fermented drink, and that was part of the Nazarite vow. He used to live a life that was devoted to the Lord. It doesn't talk here about not cutting his hair and, and that kind of a thing, but... Um, but this seems to be perhaps a Nazarite vow. And verse 16, the angel keeps talking here. He says, many of the people of Israel will be, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here's the quote from Malachi 4, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife, he doesn't call her old, he's delicate there, but she's kind of well along in years. She's not a spring chicken anymore, and I'm kind of an old rooster. How's this all going to work here? He says, I'm an old man. How can I be sure of this? Not a good response, Zechariah. Because the angel answered, I am Gabriel. Okay, now notice the contrast. Zechariah says, I am old. The angel says, I am Gabriel. Okay? I've kind of been sent by God. He says, I stand in the presence of God. By the way, Gabriel's name in Hebrew means strength of God or champion of God. we have any Gabriels here in the house? Any Gabes? All right. I don't see, maybe you don't want to admit it. Anyway, live up to your name. It's a strong name. It's a great name. Champion of God. Strength of God. So here's this angel. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because notice, you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. 
Now, I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of, there are only two angels mentioned in the Bible, Gabriel by name, Gabriel and Michael. There's, there's a mention of a lot of angels in the Bible, but only two by name, Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel is not an archangel, by the way. Only Michael is listed as an archangel. I, I guess you could make the argument that Lucifer was an angel before he fell, but good angels, we have Gabriel and we have Michael. Now, I don't know, you know how the protocol goes. I don't know if Gabriel was given a little liberty you know, listen, if this guy talks back to you, make him mute. Or whether he just did this on his own. I don't know. You know I, don't, I don't know if he gets back up to heaven. I'm like, God, he sassed me. So I shut his mouth. That's what I did. But anyway, that's what happens here. And so now he, he, he can't speak. He can't speak at all until this all happens in its proper time. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. I mean, he's having this conversation with, with Gabriel, but the people outside, they don't know because this is a scene that's happening alone. So they're like, what's taking him? So how long, is, how long does it take to sprinkle incense? You know, what's he doing in there? Well, they don't know all that's going on. Verse 22, when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I, I want to know what does this scene look like, okay? You know, he comes out. They're like, what took you so long? I mean, I, what kind of signs is he making here? You know, this big age, how do you describe, you know, it's like a moment of charades here. It's like, it's like New Testament charades. You can't speak and say a thing, but now you're going to describe this angel. and I don't know. What is he saying here? He can't say a word, but he's like, he's like showing signs and making things. Well, they realize he's seen a vision. I don't know how much they really understood that he had seen, but it says in verse 23 that when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. See, look, um, you have to imagine in this day the, the disgrace that was attached to the inability to conceive. And, you know, obviously I can't even begin to imagine what that must feel like for women who are unable to conceive. But having talked to a few, to several in the course of ministry, um, this is painful to, 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 you know, want to be able to have children and, and not able to conceive. And for this moment here, she is feeling like a completely new person. Now, it doesn't tell us why she stayed in seclusion. Maybe because initially, I mean, it doesn't tell us how old she was, but maybe at first she has this mixture of extreme joy but also a little bit embarrassed, like, what are my friends going to think? I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of up there in years, and, and, you know, what are they going to say? And so maybe some of that is happening here where she's, a, you know, she's a little bit uncomfortable with this sense of, you know, what will, and, I mean, all of us are like this. You know, it's unfortunately, but when something happens, even sometimes if it's good, we don't even know, well, what will people think? And, you know, and, and, and how will I be perceived? And so, you know, there's this scene here. I'm sure that Zechariah had to just write all this down for her because he's not able to communicate what happened. Uh, but here she comes to understand uh, what, is, what this is all about. And, um, and, and this has to be just an incredible, a wonderful moment uh, for this elderly couple. Now, it's going to switch here to the scene with Mary. We have the same angel 
and he's now going to go visit Mary. So in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, and that's a reference to Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth months of, of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Let me just read down to the end of the section and come back and comment. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. By the way, when you read this, do you ever wonder how come her doubt was not punished like Zechariah's doubt? Zechariah says, how is this going to happen since I'm old? Mary says, how is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? There's a difference in their question. Because Gabriel, when he responds to Zechariah's question, says, you haven't believed. So we get insight into his heart. Zechariah is saying, I am old, in verse 18. It's interesting to watch this scene here. In verse 18, Zechariah says, I am old. In verse 19, Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. And in verse 30, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary does not ask how this will be since I am a virgin because she doubts. It literally translates, by what method will this occur since I am a virgin? She believes. That's why she says, I am the Lord's servant. She is connected to God here. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel, meaning I am the champion of God. And Zechariah says, I am an old man. Two are focused on the Lord. One is focused on himself. That's the big difference here. So Mary is not questioning this with doubt. She is simply asking, by what method or means will this happen since I am a virgin? I've never been with a man. Now, it tells us here, and I'm not going to get too far into this because a lot needs to be said here, and I'm going to save it for next week because we're almost out of time. But there are four stages to a Jewish wedding in this day. The first stage was the arrangement between the dads. I'll talk about it in a minute. After the arrangement, then there was the exchange of vows. Then there was a feast followed by the consummation, the physical consummation of the marriage. There was really four stages. Now, the first stage, the arrangement, arranged marriages. That's what they were back in the day. And there are still some cultures that have arranged marriages. And the older my kids have gotten, the more I believe in arranged marriages. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But an arranged marriage back in the day, dads could get together and arrange their kids' marriages as young as, if the kids were as young as, two years of age. Two years of age. So you'd be at the playground with your kid, and there'd be another dad at the playground with his kid, and you'd be like, hey, you you look like a good family. Hey, you look like a good family. Let's make a deal that our kids should be married. 
they would make a deal. And it would be sealed with a transaction. There would be a dowry that would be paid. A dowry for the price of whatever the girl was, was deemed to be valued at. I know it sounds like a very you know, business transaction. In some ways it was. But a dowry was actually alimony in advance. Because if the marriage failed in those days, the woman would then likely become destitute So the bride price that was paid in advance would help take care of her if there was ever a break in the marriage covenant. So there was a dowry that was exchanged, and and that that would be negotiated. You know, know, I'll I'll give you five cows and a a camel and, uh, and, and for your daughter's hand in marriage, and my son grows up. So by the way, let me clarify that, the, that the, it might be arranged as young as two years of age, but not until they became of maritable age would they actually get married. And so they would negotiate, you know, crops, vineyards, uh, uh, animals. The first year that I had Lindsay with me in Israel, I actually was approached by a man who wanted to give me 30 camels for her. I'm not making this up, 30 camels. I said, I won't budge for anything under 50 camels. <laughs> No, 75. But no, I didn't. No, but I, I was a bit shocked. Like, are you serious? Yeah, it was, it was this Arab guy on the streets. He was just like, I will give you, I will give you 30 camels for your daughter. And uh, it was just a little strange. But anyhow, they still do that in some cultures, and that's kind of the deal that would go down here. There would be this arrangement. Then when the kids got to maritable age, and in this day it was a lot younger. It was believed that Mary was probably as young as 15 years of age. It was believed that Joseph was considerably older. He might have been in his 20s maybe even 30 years of age at this time. And then there would be the exchange of vows. So it would be arranged. Then there would be, secondly, an exchange of vows. And then there would be a separation of one year. That was called the espousal or the betrothal period. And during that year, made for exemption for the man from military duty, and he was then to build a home, or more likely in these days, to build an addition onto the parent's home. And then he'd come back for his bride, and there would be a feast. That's the third thing. There'd be a feast that would last for a week. And at the last day of the feast, then there'd be the consummation of the marriage between the couple. So this is very extensive, much more complicated than, than today's, you know, Western culture of how marriages are, you know, kind of quick and, and um, but in these days, very meticulous, arranged, thought out, planned, feasting, consummation of the marriage, and all of this happens. It is during this year's period between when the vows were exchanged and the feast and the consummation that Mary becomes pregnant by the Spirit of God. It is during this year that there is to be no sexual relations between this couple. You don't consummate it until after the feast, until after the year. You have the feast and then consummation. For her to become pregnant during this year's hiatus, if you will, is going to become very problematic for her in terms of perception and how she will be ostracized by her own culture. So we'll save all of that. And we'll talk next week also about the reason she had to be a virgin. And it is important to understand the the significance of what it means that she was a virgin. And and I will be bringing up, and I I will preface my remarks by saying I have no intention of bashing the Roman Catholic Church. 
but I will bring up the differences between why we believe what we believe and what the Roman Catholic Church teaches in relation to the virginity of Mary. So it might be interesting to some of you to learn some of that, but we'll pick up that next week. We'll save it for then. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. Oh!